Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Drew, and welcome to the Codeco Podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here's the show. This is the Codeco Podcast. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, the 1st of November, 2023. This is episode one, and it's brought to you by the Codeco Black Friday Sales. I am your co-host, Susanna Skyergupta, with my trusty host, Drew Freeman. Thanks, Suze. Today, we'll be talking with Tim Mitra. That's Tim at it-guy.com. Tim is a longtime friend and past host of this podcast. He now hosts the podcasts More Than Just Code and Spockcast. Tim's an iOS developer and engineering manager with IT Guy Technologies. At Cadeco, he has been responsible for so many projects, including iOS tutorials, videos, many articles, and books. Books? Books, Many yeah. books over the past 10 years. Tim, I know you're kind of legendary, but for people who are newer tuning in, tell us about yourself. Um, tell us about your experience with Apple platforms and how you come to be teaching people to develop for this particular platform that we're going to be talking about today, which is Vision OS and the Vision Pro. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm basically a Mac guy from way back when. I started using Macs in the late 80s. Um, and uh, I learned, I mean, back in the day when like there was no, there was no internet, there was nothing. You had to figure it out on your own kind of thing. And people used to call me and ask for help. So I eventually went into consulting as a, as a, to help people use their computers. That led me into programming and other things. Um, and at one point I was an Apple reseller where I was selling Macs to people. People call oh, me wow. up and ask me okay. what kind of iPad to buy and that kind of stuff. And so, and then the problem is I'm surrounded on, after a while, surrounded on three sides by three Apple stores. So there was like no point. Um, but when the iPhone came out, um, I, you know, I was like an instant I'm iPhone person, you know, uh, I've ditched my BlackBerry and, and went to iPhone right away. Like I got one from San Francisco because they didn't come into Canada initially and I uh, started reading books about how uh, you could use, you could basically jailbreak the phone and you could go in and you, and it was basically Unix under the hood and you could write Unix applications and you could rate your, make your own apps. And then, because at the time, Apple was only letting us do dash code uh, and, uh, and, and websites on the phone. Um, and I started, te- I started teaching some of that stuff too. And then... Um, they released the SDK in 2008. You know, I had already been an Apple developer for a few years at that point. So I downloaded the, the SDK and started playing around with, with iOS. And then when the iPad came along, I was working in printing and publishing was my main thing, like, you know, PostScript and Illustrator and Photoshop and Quark Express and things like that, book publishing, magazines, advertising. And one of my customers said, you know, she saw the keynote by Steve Jobs. She called me the next day and said, I have to be on the iPad on day one. And I'm like, cool, we'll do it. And then I figured, okay, now what do I have to do to figure out this stuff? So I had to I basically, you know, started up a company, hired a couple of contract engineers, um, started doing um, iPad development um, back in the day. And then that's how I kind of started. And, and it's funny because, you know, when back in the day, like I said, there was no resources. You had to go online and sort of find a library, find a frame, find somebody who had written how to put a button on the screen, look at YouTube to figure out how to do the app icon. And there was this guy who had this blog in his basement of his mother-in-law's place <laughs> by the name of Ray Wenderlich, right? 
And so I started reading Ray's, Ray's stuff. In fact, one of my shipping apps today still has an article that he wrote back in, 20, in 2010. The code is still in my app. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I talked to him about that a few years ago, and he said, yeah, I wrote that in my mother-in-law's basement. But um, yeah, and then I think I started, like one of the things I had to do was to figure out how this OS, iOS thing. And, and so I, I skirted around. I used, because in print and publishing, we used to go to conferences all the time to learn stuff. And I looked around to see if there were any iOS conferences. Sure enough, there was one in Seattle. So I jumped on a plane, flew to Seattle, met a bunch of people. Then the second one was in Philadelphia, and this is back in 2010, I guess. And Ray was speaking there. He and Rod Sturgo were doing a book, had, had done a book on Coco's two date code 2D. And I didn't have the nerve to go talk to him at that point, but because he was kind of the shine, he was like the Paul Hudson. That, that <laughs> kind of thing, right? And uh, but I used to go to 360i Dev, which is another conference that I had found. And in the second year that that uh, I went, he and Vicky were doing a, a Sunday lab on creating assets for three in 3d for, uh, for games. And, uh, so I, I, you know, basically walked up to the, to the table and said, Hey Ray, you know, I've been teaching iOS in Toronto and I would love to write stuff. And he sort of said, sure, here's the tryout. And next thing you know, like, and that was back, that was 10 years ago. Like I started with my first, my first article with Ray Wonderlick was 2013. So I've just had my 10th year, 10th anniversary. Um, so yeah, and that's how I that's how I got started with the Ray Winnerlich folks, and and you know um, it was an opportunity for me too, as as uh, early days was to teach people, companies, banks, whatever, how to do this crazy thing called iOS. And so I used to teach a course on Objective C, and you know everything from before lunch you'd have written your first Hello World app, and that's kind of how I got started in the sort of teaching people to do this, and then. Um, when the Vision OS came along, I mean, I, if you listen to my podcast a couple of times, you know, like I am super skeptical. I'm, you know, well, you know, I've got gray beard, like Andre, and you're, you know, uh, we're the older folks, and we're the, we tend to be a bit more skeptical about these newfangled devices. I've been seeing VAR and VR solutions my whole life, and and um, the, you know, I figured, okay, it's going to be janky, like the Newton was. A, I love the Newton, but the Newton was a bit janky. I did you know? love the Newton, but you're not wrong. The watch was a bit janky, you know, like like. The first point was always, yeah, it was always, it was, I mean, I really loved it. I tried with the Newton, you know, like the funny thing about the handwriting recognition is they had this little training course where you taught the Newton how to write, read your writing. But I really believe you were, the Newton was teaching you how to write so it could understand you. Well, there was that whole other way of writing on it, you know, like that. Called graffiti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that went up, that's what, so when that moved over to, to HP, that's how the Palm Pilot became so famous, right? Because people could write with this lingo that that the palm pilot understood that it started on on newton anyway coming back so i so i was blown away it's phenomenal it is the it's the next thing like you know it's not as big as an iphone but it but when you think about industries that didn't exist before the iphone became popular twitter uber doordash you know all the technologies that we now take for granted that we do on our phone every day instagram didn't exist right um you know, Facebook was there, but it was kind of a different thing. And um, I, I just see this as, as like, I can't, I mean, I thought I have a few ideas for, for apps, obviously, and I had a few ideas. Um, I'm blown away. I'm all in. 3500 bucks is nothing for 
for that what that thing is going to bring to the market. Okay, so when it ships, you're getting one. Well, it doesn't come to Canada, so I'll be driving to Buffalo on day one. <laughs> I'll be using your your street address to get one. You know? So you and I discussed this last week at iOS uh, Dev Happy Hour that people there there is no black or white with this. Anybody who gets their hands on one walks away saying, "Take my money already." Yeah, I, yeah. I went all in on the uh, on the watch Rev Zero. And I enjoyed it. I, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Um, my my spouse is hard of hearing, so I thought with the haptic response, it was fantastic for them. And they jumped on the boat too. Now my Rev Zero fell apart the first time I went in the swimming pool, and they warned me that it wasn't water resistant. I've I've always been backpedally when it comes to Rev Zero products from Apple. Didn't jump on the iPhone initially. Didn't jump on the iPad initially everything I'm hearing about the vision and I'm trying to figure out what will I use it for initially other than writing stuff for it. Well, I mean, I, I, the analogy I, I'll give you is uh, right now I'm, I'm looking at you guys on my main, I have a, a 24 inch uh, Apple display, LCD display over here. I have another LG monitor. I have um, a Mac, my MacBook Air is over here and my iPad is down here and my phone is here in the corner, right? So mm -hmm. imagine you've got the device on and you just open those four windows. The world is your screen. I don't even need to get out of bed. I can be in bed and open the four windows and be working. I don't know. So I don't know if like you don't even have to get out of bed to start working as a software developer. It's really the... Well, yeah, you, you should get out of bed. <laughs> the selling point. That's not the message we're trying to give on this episode. But that is, but it is intriguing. Well, I mean, look, look at it this way too. I also, as you, you mentioned, I do Spotcast, which is a pop culture tech podcast. And so my, my son and Jonathan, who's my co-host, he and I go... We go to movies all the time. We go to Marvel. He lives like 50 miles away from me. So we, we have to decide which theater we're going to go to. And we go watch the big IMAX thing. And we've actually been in, during the whole pandemic thing, you know, it, nothing, music movies going hasn't really survived or recovered yet. Mm -hmm. But we were actually, we went to a, a my grandson, my, my son and, my, and myself went to a, a Marvel movie in, in one of the IMAX theaters. We were the only people in the room. Wow. You know, can, you can imagine wow. like, you know, with this big giant screen, you can take a YouTube video and you can make it the size of an IMAX screen with this, with the surround sound in the head, in the device, right? You don't need to go to a theater to experience that anymore. What That's the difference. And there's so much on YouTube that's already 3D. Sorry? That's true. That's true. That you'd be able to watch that. I mean, the general belief that you can watch just about any movie in 3D, if it's available in 3D format, is is awe-inspiring. 2D is fine, too. 2D with surround sound is fine, too. I mean, like, like... And broader, like, how does it help as assistive technology? Like, that's one way, but there are probably other ways that it does, too, so... It's really interesting. Um, and I tried the computer voice thing out on iOS 17, but um, to be able to speak to the device and have it. So I, I just look, you just look at a, a, a laws and like a, you know, a text field, you look at it and you just, you look at the little microphone and you click your finger and it activates. And then you just say what you want to type. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, the IO, the, uh, the watch OS 10 dictation has vastly improved as well. Um, because the with watch OS 10 you've now got the the mini keyboard on the watch and that's kind of next to impossible to use because it's so small but but uh, dictation is really improved um, also in carplay with the phone um, I really think they've taken it up a great notch this year with uh, with all the OS's 
But uh, hearing that Vision is going to have a lot of dictation, it really is pulling you away from the point and click and type universe that that is pretty much one of the the last remainders of of the old guard is is typewriters and and but you can still use a keyboard you can still use it can still use your your bluetooth keyboard like you can you can connect like this guy you can connect this to your your uh, vision and you can also use the trackpad so you don't i mean your eyes are the, the navigation tool that's your mouse if you think about it that way but you can still use the trackpad and, and keyboard to, to do entry as well. I mean, all the, all the Bluetooth things that we normally use on a computer, you can use on Vision OS as well. Make the case. Somebody's listening. Why should she develop for Vision OS? Why should she learn how to do this? Well, I mean, first, yeah. the, I mean, the, the basic thing is, is anything you have on that runs on iOS or iPad OS, it will be capable of running on, on Vision OS, whether you... It, it by default it is right like i think with you know with the how the intel max can run or sorry the, the apple silicon max can run uh your ipads app you had to go in and enable that right the difference in with vision os it's it's kind of like another ios in a sense that if you don't go into the developer program and say turn off my app i don't want it to run on vision os it will run on vision os right and i i know and I've run my own apps in the simulator, and I know that my existing apps that are currently on the app store do run on the simulator without any changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I remember there was a point, actually a little while ago, when everybody was compiling their indie app and like saying, hey, look, here it is in the little living room. Here's mine in the living room, you know? Yeah. Look, I'm, I've done. I've written my first Vision OS app. <laughs> yeah. They did the same thing with the iPhone. When the iPhone came out, everybody was programming for the iPhone. The iPad came out, and you had iPhone emulation mode on the iPad. It was basically just a, a large version of your iPhone app, but then you could program natively and get so much more out of it. Right. And that's that's the key difference. That's the key difference to sort of answer your question. So yeah. there, there are things. Like there, one of the, one of the things that, that is uh, a, a thing that's when you hover over, when you when you mouse over, what do you want to call it? Uh, you look at an element on the screen. In if it's written in native Vision OS, it kind of hovers. It kind of has a highlight effect, and it kind of jiggles a bit, right? They they've got that for the iPad as well for the iPad emulation mode. Yeah, and you can you can see that yeah with the with the the magic with the uh, the what do you call it the the stylus the pencil right? Mm -hmm. It'll it's got the hover effect right. Exactly, exactly the same thing, right? So, and and you can try it on your Apple TV, your Apple TV when you when you navigate to a, an icon, it kind of jiggles to let you know that's what's been focused right. on, right? Um, and that doesn't come with the native iOS stuff. However, you can add that capability to some elements in your your native app if it's written. First of all, if it's written in, in Swift UI, you're way to the races, right? But there are some cases where you'll be able to add, you know, I mean, my, my apps are written in Objective-C, so they're not going to, they're going to behave just like an iPad app. Nothing I can do about them unless I rewrite those views. But if you have a Swift UI app, you can add in, you know, the at, you know, what is it, add available, Vision OS, um, do this kind of thing. And then you can apply the hover effect, which only exists on Vision OS. You can apply that to your current iPad app. So that's another that's another reason to learn to do that. That's that's obviously going to be in a later lesson at, at the Codeco stuff, but 
Now, obviously, if you, instead of just programming an iPad app, if you program natively for the vision, now you're getting a whole bunch of other goodies. Um, now, my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is you can use Swift or Swift UI. You can use UI Kit or Swift UI natively on the platform, but there's a problem with zibs and storyboards. Um, I don't. Yeah, I think you can build. You can build basically run as far as I know. You can run any Swift view you want. Rather, I mean, because I mean. A zib or a, a storyboard is is just a, a it's basically unpacked when the OS runs it right. Like it's basically it's a convenience for us as engineers to create, you know, to use the metaphor of dragging the button to here and there and put the God help us all, you know, constraints on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can you can do all that kind of stuff. But but the reality and then you know, but the, the advantage of Swift UI is is all that sort of because it's declarative. It's not you don't really have to know uh, know about pixel perfect kind of design that kind of stuff. So um, I, I'm it, it, you I think that I mean ideally you write it in Swift UI. Because I know that, like in in the case of some of the stuff I'm writing for the the course are gonna co- we're going to cover, the first part is going to be covering just a basic window app, which is just like anything else. There are some nice conveniences and controls that are only native to Vision OS that you're going to get if you write this way. But when you get into the more uh, immersive apps and you get into the more uh, volumetric apps, those you need to write in what's called a um, a reality view, and th- that's a Swift UI view. It's like so you can't really use a nib or you can use assets. You can use images and all sounds and in there, but but the reality view is a native Swift UI uh, written piece. So you can't put that into a Swift file that doesn't have that doesn't support Swift UI, right? So I want us to step back a little because I feel like we're starting to throw out some key concepts, but we haven't really contextualized them yet. So. I got to have a sneak peek at this amazing Kadeco course that's coming up on how to get started programming for Vision OS. And at the time that this episode goes live, people will be able to access that material. But one of the things that struck me was that there's this hierarchy of how immersive an app is. So can you walk us through that? Yeah. And, you know, yeah, if, if people, yeah, by the time this comes out, people will be able to read it. But there's, there's, the initial one is is basically there's three paradigms. There's a there's a window app, which is basically a flat 2D app with some 3D sort of um, what we call uh, um, ornaments, ornamentation and kind of stuff. So so even though it's a like you open up a window, there are some things that kind of sit a little bit in front of other things that kind of stuff. And so you, that's going to be your basic. That's going to be the majority of apps that run on on Vision OS. They're going to be like they open up a window and you put the window here and you move it over here and you work on something else. And and that's what we were seeing on X Twitter where everybody was like, "Look, my thing runs on Vision OS." It's like you know, it's hanging out in a window in a living room. So that's that's the first style. And like I said, that's going to be the majority of apps that are going to be out there are going to be just open up a window, watch a YouTube, open up your email over here, you know, and all that kind of stuff. The second type of app is a, what's called a volume app, where basically you have, a, you basically define, you don't define it, but there's a space that's opened up in front of you, like the user, right? So, and it's like a, a meter, but everything's in meters, by the way. I apologize for the Americans listening, but that's 39 inches, 39 inches. Um, so, you know, you got to, you basically have this volumetric space that opens. It's like a six-sided space, right? And when you're looking at, 
an object like this object, it's going to be floating, you know, in front of you. Right. And there may be a window at the back, right. But the object is out in front of you and it's a 3d optic. And if you can, you can orbit around and you can turn, you can look at it and you can experience it as a 3d object. Like in the, in the sample app that Apple creates is at earth and you can see satellite orbiting, orbiting around the earth kind of thing. So, so that's like having, instead of having like a 2d image of a shoe on your your catalog page now you have a shoe that somebody can take and they can rotate and they can turn it upside down and they can look they can really appreciate the the magnificence of the shoe that you're selling them right kind of thing right and right there there's a huge whole kind of application for it like of course you'd want to do yeah, that make make the make the dress appear as if it's on my body make the glasses appear as if they're on my head and so I can turn my head and you know enjoy them and that kind of stuff right yeah, the, I mean, the the mind sort of races when you think about all the applications. Let me ask you a quick question there. So I know there's look and there's click or finger thing. Is there a drag? Yeah. So again, this is it's all covered, and and I don't know about you, but I have a I have a ultra watch here, and I've been practicing with the with the assistive touch. So yeah, essentially, essentially, like you look at something, and that's like where your mouse goes, right? And it, th- there's this, this thing called foveal focus that's really kind of a magic thing. Like, I don't know if you know about, much about human vision, but you really only focus where your actual eye is looking. The rest of the stuff is all kind of captured in color and maps, and it's all average. It's not, not really clear. It's kind of peripheral. It's what we call peripheral vision, right? The, I, the, the, um, the device does the same thing. It, it, it makes the part that you're looking at, because it tracks your eye movement, makes it super clear. Right. So it spends its time and energy making that part of the, 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 the part clear. So it knows where you're looking. So when you look at a, at a, a button, right. Or a tab bar and you want it and it, it becomes as if your mouse is sitting on top of it. You just tap your finger like this. Right. And it's like doing a click. Right. But if you click and hold, you can drag it. Right. And then, you know, so, so if you're like, if you're, you can take the window, there's a little bar that hovers across the bottom of the window, you take it and you just put the window over here. Right. And it's kind of, it's, that's, it's kind of magical. And there's a little, there's a little bar and there's a little circle around that's like the close window. So you quit the app, you just tap on that little close thing. And then your app does whatever your app does. When it disappears, it unloads all the stuff, saves the stuff for data or Swift data and closes the app out. Right. So. Yeah, so there is click and drag, and if, you, if you're looking at a picture, you can rotate the picture, right? You can expand the picture. We'll have more of Tim Mitra in the Cadeco podcast in a moment, because this episode is sponsored by Cadeco's Black Friday sale. If you're passionate about tech and looking to boost your skills, Cadeco's sale is the perfect opportunity. We're thrilled to offer our biggest discounts yet. Get up to 50% off our individual subscriptions. It's your chance to dive into over 5,000 expert curated resources, including exciting new courses like Intro to Vision OS, written by today's guest, Tim Mitra. And if you're part of a dev team, our professional subscriptions are the ideal solution to keep everyone up to date. With a two-year commitment, your team can enjoy these resources at prices that match our individual subscriptions. Codeco is offering incredible deals on accelerator boot camps, perfect for those who want a structured, intensive learning experience. And if you want a more flexible learning experience, the iOS on-demand boot camp is at its lowest rate ever. 
But hurry, these offers only last until November 30th. Visit codeco.com slash Black Friday. Empower yourself or your team with Codeco and step confidently into the future of tech. And as always, we'd like to thank Codeco for sponsoring and helping to produce this podcast. So it, it, it tracks both hands at the same time. Yeah. And so going back to this, the, you know, window, the volumetric space. There's one more. And there's one more. So one more thing is immersive apps, basically where let's suppose you want to go to Paris, right? So I can make an app that's called the Paris Immersion, if you want, right? And you, you, I present you a window, you tap on a button and your whole view disappears. Like all, like with vision OS, you can see your environment around you. You can see the people there. You can see the desks and the monitors in front of you. This is like joint jumping into a, a, a VR game. Everything disappears. And the only thing that you're presented is what the engineer or developer puts in front of you. So they can put like a, a, a scenescape that's like Paris you're at the Louvre, for example, right? And they can put an object in front of you that you can interact with, right? So that, that object is obviously rendered in 3D and it's lit and all that kind of stuff and image mapped and stuff like that. So it looks like an actual thing that you're touching. And imagine, imagine like, here, here's an idea. The Da Vinci Code game, right? You go to the Louvre, you start doing, going through all the clues, you run past, you know, like all the stuff is there. Just, it's just like playing a, a typical game, but now the, the mechanic is that you're completely immersed in it. You're not, not like, well, I think PlayStation VR is a very similar thing where you can, you know, you can have fruit fly at you. You can chop it. And, oh, wow. I'm trying to think of our analogy with, so you have the catalog in the window and you're scrolling through shoes, but they're in a window that's hanging there. Okay. So that's cool, but it's not that cool. And then, or, or you can look at the, shoe right and can in the middle tier can you turn it can you interact with yeah, the shoe can, but it's can, in you... but it's at your desk you're like if you're sitting at your desk it's the shoe in space and you're sitting at your desk yeah it's in front of the window behind it yeah and then and then you're actually in the store and you're trying which is in paris and you're trying on the shoe yeah the the, the immersion the immersion version would be okay you need to, you're going to hogwarts you're going to to um diagon alley and you're going to go in and you're going to pick out your one. So wand. basically what we're talking is this, this the, the, especially for gaming, where, it's, where you're surrounded by the, the effects. Or, or a house. You want to go buy a house. You, the, the realtor publishes a, a VR. You, you click on it. You go and look and see how does the kitchen look and what's out the window and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff will be part of our reality going forward. Well, and simulations and learning like... Uh, Driving a car, flying a plane, yeah. Uh, doing surgery, you know, like learning, learning how to do surgery. Yeah, in the introduction to the course, I had covered off where all this stuff, I mean, I, you know, I've been doing VR since the 80s and 90s, and I thought, okay, well, that's fine, but it actually all started in like 1930s, 1920s, like it's, it's been, we've been doing this for a long time. It started off with the stereoscopes where you've got two images and you have the you know the little wooden viewers you see them at the at the mm -hmm. antique store yeah. all the time. You put a double frame image in, and it's got like a card down the middle, so it separates your left and right eye, and it creates a stereoscope in your in your brain that makes you think you're looking at a 3D object. That's like from the 20s, like 1900s, man, like 
Last millennium. You went over the 70s, you had the Viewmaster. Right. Yeah. The, View, the Viewmaster came out yeah. in the 30s, actually. Oh, is it that old? Why do I sense there's a history book in you, Tim? There probably is. Yeah, so it's not, so VR and AR is not, it's not, I mean, it's all basically movies and music and things like that and going to places, you know, putting on, the, looking at the Viewmaster. Like, the Viewmaster, you used to look at Charlie Brown and Snoopy, but you could also look at Vesuvius mm -hmm. or you could go right. to Pompeii or... You could right. go to the Louvre and you could, and you, safari. and it, safari. Yeah, safari. Look at the animals. And they were all done in 3D and they were, it was kind of magical, right? And that, the difference is now we're moving to the point where it's all comp computationally generated in front of your very eyes, right? So that's the magic. And I mean, the, the possibilities of what people will be able to do with this platform is, is astounding, right? Can't wait to play Beat Saber on an Apple product. What do we know about, what can we say? that's known at this point about when people who want to try the hardware can? Well, I do know that right now, and, and I mean, they have been since around uh, uh, the summer, August or so, they've been having um, developer labs. If you're an engineer, you can go to developer labs. They just opened one in, so as of this writing, which is November, they opened one in New York. You used to have to go to Cupertino, London, uh, Singapore, Singapore has one. Um, there's five or six locations that you can go around the world to check out this device. And all you do is apply for it. And Apple's happy to have you come in, bring your Mac, bring your Xcode and try out your apps, right? And and play around with it and try it. And um, and they want our feedback and it's a great avenue to get it, right? Uh, but like I said, they just opened one in New York City. Um, so you can go to New York and I'm sure they'll be having labs for, for this all the way up until it releases. Do we have a real release date, a ship date yet at this point? No. And it, and it's going to be, it's, I mean, I like to say it's made of unobtainium and there's going to be a limit to supply at first, right? So, I mean, because of, because of the technology, like, I mean, the rumor is that, you know, to make the screens, Samsung can only deliver a finite number of them. And so that would mean that there's only a finite number of devices will be available, right? So if you're sitting here, you're listening, you're pretty sure ooh, ooh, I've got the killer app for this. I know how to do it. I'm going to read Tim's materials and I'm just going to bang that out. It's going to be a while before you get super rich from it because. <laughs> oh, who knows? I mean, the, the other thing, the other thing I should point out too, is if you do have that app, Susan, and you want to you can make a pitch to Apple and they will, they will provide you with a developer kit and you can try it out. If, if you have, if you have that app you're talking about, that's going to give you the next, you know, game changer. So do you know of anyone who's actually gotten a developer kit through a compelling pitch? I've heard rumors of somebody who has, but I don't know anybody one-to-one -one that I've spoken to that has it yet. Or at least can admit to it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I have heard that the, the, um, I mean, the last time I heard, spoke to somebody about it on, on a, stack, a Slack channel was, it was a challenge to, you have to jump through a few hoops to get it. So let's talk about this from the, uh, from the point of view of what do I need to know other than having the new course materials, which will be fantastic. Um, I'm assuming a good grounding in iOS is absolutely necessary before making the jump onto this thing. Yeah, sure. We, we, I mean, you could do the hundred days of Swift UI from Paul Hudson and make tiny little apps along the way, but to really take advantage of this environment, um, I'm assuming there's a, a little bit of AR and VR knowledge of what Apple has in their bucket that would be helpful. If I had to ask, if I, I, obviously when I started working on the course, they asked me what the prerequisites would be. Um, I'm approaching it from the point of view of you, you, you know a little bit of Swift, 
right? You know a little bit about it, you know, maybe you know what a closure is. Um, it does use a lot of async await, not, not so much that you can't, it's like, um, out of the box, it's not challenging. So you, you should know a bit of Swift programming, Swift UI in particular. Um, if you have some experience with AR and VR, um, you're, you'll be in a good place too, but you can download, there are sites that will download you USD files. We should talk about the USD file, by the way. Yeah, let's. Um, but but you can you can download assets and you can put them in. In fact, in 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 the, the lesson, I did sort of direct people to download how to download the apps or download some objects and put them in. Um, some of the more advanced challenges are going to be things like lighting the object. Uh, there's a whole uh, another rabbit hole called um, shader graphs, basically, which are mm. programs you kind of put together that that exp- like use math and complicated stuff to make an effect, you know, like the light on the top of your head kind of thing. Um, it's not just as straightforward as pointing a light at your head. It's kind of, there's, there's a bit of nuance to it. Um, and then how, like how uh, light applies, like generally speaking, a lot of the, the 3D rendering stuff is out of the way, but if you know some 3D modeling, you might want to, you know, you might need to, if you're going to be doing any custom work yourself, like you don't want to use ready-made things, there's a lot, there's a library of assets that are, that come with the simulator and come with reality composer pro, which we didn't talk about yet. Um, but reality composer pro is where you set up the, what they call scenes, right? You put the objects in and you make the relationships between them and you use the materials to make them look the way they look. That's done in, in reality composer pro. Um, and then, uh, so, so knowing some, uh, AR, VR kind of, concepts and technologies will be helpful as well right so it strikes me that that's almost it's a whole own thing being like a 3d like an ar vr designer and oh there's going to be new, there's going to be new jobs there's going to be new jobs coming out of this. i don't know how much of this is brand new for apple versus like people who already have some understanding of this from a different ar vr platform and what we can what can be brought over from other sources but like programming in swift and making these things in whatever tool set are like really different skills yeah yeah i mean well i mean like you look if you look around here i mean like i've got a 3d (laughs) printer and so i've done some 3d sculptures i've done some you know i like this little gear here that holds the the thing on i created that and in tinkercad so so yeah there's a lot of different skills that are required um you know i think it's going to be there's going to be new jobs coming out of this whole thing if it if it really takes off i mean there's going to be the you know a lot more 3d um uh, designers needed not just not just straight up you know design me a button design me an icon now it's going to be help me make a 3d mo- object how to help me color it help me put an image map on it there's a lot there's a lot that goes into it but that doesn't mean that you can't i don't want to get the wrong impression that that's sort of the more advanced applications right doesn't mean you can't um build an app and publish it on envision os right so the, the point of my course is i'm trying to show you that there are entry points for everybody, right? There are some advanced things that you, I mean, some of the stuff I'm, as I'm writing, I'm in the middle of writing the, the course right now as we record. Um, as I read each section, I've been going back and, and even though I, I, you know, part of part of our process, but the way the sausage is made here at Ray Warner, like by the way, is we make a sample app, we push it through, it gets approved, and then we start writing the article around how we're gonna explain to the to the students to build this app and all the sort of 
the stuff they need. The reality is, is this stuff is so new that I've created the sample app and then I've gone, okay, but there's one thing I want to do that's been bugging me. So as I'm writing, I stop and I go and spend a couple of hours in Xcode and I learn about this new thing and I learn about shader graphs and I learn about this. I mean, just last on the weekend, I had a breakthrough where I wanted to make an object circle another object. So I had to learn about orbit animation. And that was, I mean, it's, I understand the concept behind it, but it's new. Literally last night, I've got this, you'll see this when you do the the immersion part of the course is I've got this little airplane that goes around in a circle. Well, I wanted to make it look like it was flying in the sky with ground beneath it. So I had to figure out how to take an image. I went into Photoshop and I made an image of the earth. And then I, I, had to figure out how to put you inside that sphere and apply that image to the sphere. So it looks like you're flying a plane and the skies in front of you and the clouds that I painted in Photoshop and the ground below that I took out of an airplane when I was flying from Chicago back in last summer. Right. So these, I mean, it, it, it's there. You will. Okay. Did you get it to work? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so, you know, so it kind of like, it's kind of, you know, uh, again, that's part of the way the sausage is made here at Raymond Lake or at Sokotoko, sorry. Um, but that is, you, you, you're going to be, there's lots to learn here. There's lots to do. And there's going to be a lot of jobs for different people, different skill sets, right? So, And of course, you should remember that Tim's email is tim at it-guy.com. Because <laughs> it's obvious that if you're looking for a vision guy, go contact Tim. Uh, for sure. Could a beginner get started with this, do you think? Like, what if you aren't expert in AR and VR? Is it something that... Uh, a novice dev could dig into? Yeah, the whole Windows side of things, um, you don't need to do any AR, VR. In fact, you don't even bring your reality kit. You don't even import that stuff in, import those frameworks in in a Windows app. Okay. I was able to stand my app up in Vision in in a day. Just kind of like instantly, yeah. Well, I, I had turned off the iPad functionality of my app. My app was originally phone only. Oh, right. So I had to make mine iPad accessible, at which point it pretty much just came up. It, it crashed a lot, but that was beta one. We're up to beta four now. Yeah. So, the, so yeah, as a, and that's another important point too, uh, for those of you driving at home, as we like to say on our show, um, it, it will only run on Apple Silicon Macs now as a 15 Xcode 15.1 beta, but it's vision OS beta four or vision 1.0 beta four will only, the simulator will only run on Apple Silicon. So, so if you haven't, if you're still sitting on the fence about Intel versus Apple Silicon. No, Mac-wise, it's now been two and a half years, and they just introduced the M3s a day or two ago by the time of recording. So, I mean, the other, so the, the other things we didn't talk, so Reality Composer Pro, we talked a little bit about that. That's sort of the 3D environment where you set up the, the assets that are going to go into a 3D app. And um, the other thing we didn't talk about, oh, USDZ files. The files, yeah. So USDC, USDZ or USD, sorry. USD, well, it's actually... No, I, was, I was about to say, that. shouldn't that be USDZ? <laughs> no, it's USDZ. Um, so, uh, so that's... Um, there's, there's a, there's a um, rapper with Z in his name. I will say it the Z, but the Z way. But, because um, it just sounds wrong, Z. But, so USD is universal scene description was something that was invented by uh, Pixar, and it's now being supported by Google, Apple, NVIDIA, and Pixar. And it's a, a, a sort of an open source uh, file format. And there's, there's um, 
three versions of it. There's a USDA, which is encoded in ASCII, ASCII text. So you can op actually open it up and look at it. It looks like an XML file. Oh, wow. Um, and you can see the assets that you've put in there. You can see how their, their relationships are set up. And then, which is also how you see them in reality. Composer Pro, you see it like as a sidebar, which shows you the hierarchy. But um, And then USDC is uh, made of what they call USD crates, which are uh, assemblages of other USD files and assets music, sound, uh, CAD files, robotics, that kind of stuff. And those can be packed into a USDC file. And then the USDZ or Z is, um, is basically, it's, it's a zip format, right? So you've got all kinds of different assets in there. You could have USDA files in there, USDZ files in there. You can have, like a 3D object is, if you think about it, it's like a plain white, like the Venus de Milo behind me, it's a plain white object. You map an image onto it, like if you have a car, a race car, you map an image of all the decals and logos and sponsors onto that object, and then the 3D mechanics makes it look like an actual painted car, right? So those are so there's the model itself, the physical geometry that makes up the model, and then there's the map that makes the image. That's all applied. And then if the wheels are spinning or the propeller is turning or the goldfish is flapping its its gill or fins that's a mechanic that's built into the model and then packed into the usdz file so the animations are already there right you're, when you're breathing your chest goes up and down well that would be built into the usdz file or z file and then you bring that into reality composer pro you bring it into a reality view in vision os and you tell it to animate and then the gills start flopping the propeller turns the wheels start turning so from a 3D point of view, the, the bones and the musculatures are part of the 3DZ definition? Well, they're part of the model that goes into the 3DZ, yeah, but how, but how they, like whether they animate, whether they're articulated and can move. So how do you make this stuff? How do you make the 3D model? Well, the 3D model, that's not part of our course, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, or it may be later, but you use a program, one of the most popular programs is called Blender. Right, which is kind of okay. a 3D one. And is that an an open source freebie thing? Blender. It's an open source thing. It, it looks really janky. It runs on it runs on mo uh, just about every platform there is out there. Mac, uh, that kind of stuff. So Blender is where people make a lot of objects. I've used apps on the iPad. There's one called Nomad, which is like a sculpture app I can use for things around the house. Like I print all kinds of little things to fix my house up, to hold windows open, and that kind of stuff. I use a, an app called Tinkercad, which is basically like you 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 know, run around with calipers, you measure things and you, you make blocks and things like that. I wish we had time to play the entire interview, but if you'd like to see the interview with all the material, watch YouTube for the full video version. Tim, I think I'm in your boat that I am definitely going to be uh, saving up the 3,500 some odd American dollars to a uh, and, and oh god, I don't even know if that's going to be an added cost or not. They, I mean, it's still a lot of this is up in the air, but I think we've got a really good start in understanding what this technology is, and with the material that that you've produced coming out, that's really going to help a lot of people who are interested in jumping onto this bandwagon. And I cannot thank you enough for for telling us all about your experiences and your your knowledge. And I really want to thank you for being on the show this week well thanks for having me it's been a great experience thanks obviously if you want to reach out to tim like i've said many times his uh his email tim at it-guy.com he will probably not refuse any good job offers in the vision world right now uh if you want to find tim on 
uh, on, I still call it Twitter. I'm not too fond of the word X. Uh, it, it is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. Susanna is Suze Gupta, S-U-Z-G-U-P-T-A. And I am, of course, Podcast Drew. As we've been doing this season, we're not necessarily teasing what the next episode is because we're sort of still mixing things around and trying to figure out what we want to do for the next episode. So you definitely should be tuning in from week to week to hear what we're doing. So we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you so much for tuning in. And of course, as always, leave a positive rating on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you again to Tim, to Susanna, and to all of our backstage crew. We'll see you next episode. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the Codeco podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating in your favorite podcast app. See you next time.